Hi, this is Staff Sergeant Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th ESC. We've got a great podcast episode coming up of the Every Soldier Counts podcast. We're going to talk with the 19th ESC retention team of Sergeant Major Adam Bartlett and Master Sergeant Matt Savage. We cover a lot of great topics here, way outside retention, touching on quality of life, things the Army can do for you. So listen up. We've got a great episode of the Every Soldier Counts podcast right now. Welcome to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. Wherever you find American troops today, you'll find the men of the Transportation Corps. Enough and on time. That's the story we tell you today. The story of the Army Quartermaster Corps. These youthful servicemen are members of the Army's Military Police Corps. One of the most important forces behind the lines. The Army Ordnance Corps. Welcome again to the 19th ESC Every Soldier Counts podcast. I'm, of course, Staff Sergeant Adam Ross, Public Affairs NCOIC for 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command. We have another great episode for you today. Joining me in the studio is the 19th ESC retention team of Sergeant Major Adam Bartlett and Master Sergeant Matt Savage. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. So uh, we're going to, like we usually do, we kind of delve into uh, get to know you a little bit, get to know your backgrounds. So, um, Sergeant Major, let's start with you. So what, what led you to enlist in the Army? What was your original MOS? Uh, so I enlisted in January 2001, uh, came in as a 77 Fox Petroleum Supply Specialist, uh, which is now a 92 Fox. Uh, so I uh, did uh, basic training at Fort Jackson, AIT at Fort Lee, uh, truck driving school down at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and then I reported to the mighty 101st Airborne <laughs> Division Air Assault in uh, 2001. So you got you got that patch quite a while ago then the, on your right side. I did. Uh, I participated in the initial invasion uh, into Iraq, uh, OIF-1, uh, back in March 2003. Good stuff. Okay. Sergeant, uh, Sergeant Savage, how about you? Well, I, I enlisted two years after this fine gentleman uh, as a 92 Fox, so the Army did not like what they called him, and so they changed it, I guess. So uh, we were both fuelers. Uh, same kind of path, except for me, I... Uh, I went to the mighty airborne school and um, then I went and served uh, the next long amount of time as a, in the USASOC world as a paratrooper and a petroleum supply specialist working in that environment. Very different um, from 101st, but um, very broadening too, because we didn't have all the aviation assets and everything. So it was very interesting. You know, I, I joined the army because I had no clue. Uh, I graduated high school on a Friday, and that Monday I looked at the Coast Guard. They were closed, and Tuesday the <laughs> Army was open. I should have joined the Coast Guard, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, you almost <laughs> so close to joining the Coast Guard. Right. Well, I want to say, like, you are you the only soldier in 19th ESC with the Halo Wings? I am not the only soldier in 19th ESC with Halo Wings. Uh, Chief Gilmore uh, is also a free fall jump master in the DMC, but I am the only career counselor in the Army. Uh, Halo and Halo Jumpmaster qualified. Really? So could, can you tell us a little bit about that school? That's kind of one school that maybe people have heard about they don't know too much about? Yeah, so it's um, we use Halo loosely because it's high altitude, low opening. It's, it's got a good catch, and like all good things in the Army, it's an acronym, right? Um, but it's actually the 
United States Army Military Freefall School. Um, not to be confused with skydiving, because uh, what military freefall is basically consists of is work. Um, it is it is to infiltrate an objective uh, from roughly twenty five thousand feet or above under full combat load, um, which is commonly referred to as a wall locker jump, but you're also under uh, O2. Um, so oxygen supply, everything, because when you go up that high, you have to be under an oxygen because um, the plane is obviously not compressed. So it's decompressed. Um, so you're on thin air, so you're, you're, you're breathing oxygen and you jump. Um, so it's a predominantly special operations type school um, for special forces soldiers um select riggers and then every now and then you get soldiers that win a soldier of the quarter soldier of the year board um and it's been given out as an award for that and that's how i received it uh, when i was a career counselor of the year um for special forces command so oh so you were you were a career counselor when you went to yep. that. that's interesting okay all right well uh with that we uh if you hear that sound this means it's time to change things up a little bit. We're going to go to our 50-meter target um, portion of the show. And so uh, these questions are going to come come quick. Just ask that you respond quickly, like when the 50-meter target comes up. So um, no peeking. Um, so, Sergeant Major, we're going to start with you. If you were to open a restaurant with your cooking, what would be on the menu? Well, I have to start with my favorite pepperoni pizza. Uh, I'm from the Chicago area, so we like ours cut in squares, not in uh, traditional slices. Uh, extra pepperoni, extra cheese, but uh, it would definitely be a pizza restaurant uh, with some fine uh, beer, I'm certain. Yes. Okay, and Sergeant Savage, would you, would your, if your restaurant was next door, would you be able to get more customers yes. with your cooking? I, I would. It would be bourbon and small plates. That's it. <laughs> Okay, um, so uh, stay with you, Sergeant Savage. You're going to a desert island. You're banished to a desert island. We won't get into the reason why. You, you can only bring one TV show with you. What is it? Twenty-four. Okay. <laughs> Sergeant Major, how about you? Mine is actually twenty-four. Okay. Uh, I've been watching Jack Bauer of late, so yes. Okay, some some symmetry from from retention. We'll see if that continues. Okay, uh, same situation, Star Major, but you can take only one musical artist to listen to your entire stay there. It's gonna have to be Tupac. Okay, you gonna are you gonna match him on that? You know, I was gonna say Wu Tang, but I don't know if Wu Tang is one musical artist. If I'm gonna bring the whole crew, uh, but I'll go with Biggie because maybe we're on the same mile and we can mend some things that were wrong <laughs> so i'm gonna go that route okay um so uh sergeant savage you are sergeant major of the army for one day you can make one decision to change to make the army better what is it it's not gonna be beards for men uh, <laughs> it would uh i think it would be wearing headphones while we're running for the acft okay yeah uh, air force does that i think right. if you're on a track yeah star major we uh, that's a bit of a tough one because I have a lot of things that run through my mind. <laughs> However, I'm going to say beards. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, so, uh, staying with you, Sergeant Major, what was your army, your whole army career? Do you remember an APFT you took with the absolute worst weather? What were the worst conditions for an APFT for you? Uh, worst APFT for me were at uh, Fob Shank, Afghanistan, about seven thousand feet up. Uh, after uh, going there from Savannah, Georgia, which is probably below sea level, uh, it was cold, it was windy, um, and it it was hard to breathe. So yes, definitely Fob Shank, Afghanistan. Sounds wonderful, Sergeant Savage. How about you? Mine was also in Afghanistan. It was a day like. We decided, hey, we're going to do APFT tomorrow, and tomorrow came, and it was 
the worst wind cold storm with sand snow and everything in between and i'm like this can't be real like you couldn't see the person running in front of you um we still did it so i i was lucky enough to take an apft on uh, on kandahar before they clean things up there so you know <laughs> i got the full uh, sensory experience with that okay last one so um if you staying with the game show theme we have here uh sar major if you had to pick one game show where you would just absolutely crush it what would it be a uh, game show that I would crush would probably be Family Feud. Okay, with with the Bartlett family. With, with the Bartlett family, even my uh, seven year old, we'll get her in there too. Okay. Family Feud. How about you, Sarn Savage? Oof. Guys, grocery games. Oh, okay. I'm all about shopping. I forgot about that one. <laughs> all right. Well, you both have uh, your your you you shot expert on 50 meter targets. Thank you for that. We're gonna um, take the music back down and get into more of the meat and potatoes of the uh, retention world. So, um, one thing, um, you know, you're, you're called career counselors for a reason. So, um, what do you either, either you can respond to this? So, let's talk about making informed decisions for reenlisting. How do you playing in the counselor aspect of that uh so for myself i i tell people all the time i've never asked a soldier to re-enlist or told them to re-enlist uh re-enlistment is a personal uh decision uh it's a family decision and obviously it's a command decision um in certain cases uh so for me i i tell them to look at their entire life uh where they are uh at this point of their life um uh, sometimes we get folks who, you know, staff sergeant 10, 11 years in, uh, but just finished a master's degree in finance, which was the case of a soldier I had when I was at Rock Island. Uh, there was nothing that I could offer that person. It would have been criminal, really, for me to tell that person to stay in the Army at that point. They were single, had no no, no spouse, no children, no responsibilities, uh, had just completed a master's degree in finance. Um, then sometimes we get the soldier who comes in is, and has the opposite situation, uh, uh, married, children, no degree, and you say, hey, uh, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to get out and go to school. And you look and you say, well, you know, how are you going to support said family or what's, what's the rest of the family dynamic? Uh, so I inform it from, from all of those perspectives. Uh, I'm more a, a conduit. I am somebody who facilitates the reenlistment, uh, but the actual decision to stay Army uh, rests with the soldier command. Uh, and family. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, my perspective, um, I had the opportunity to be a recruiter before I became a career counselor. So out there, I was asking people to join the Army. Um, and that was really rewarding for me because, uh, like Sergeant Major said, you met people that had different walks of life, right? You don't know where everybody comes from. And I think that's the most valuable lesson NCOs today and, and platoon leaders, right? At that, at that level, platoon sergeant, platoon leader level, they don't know where their soldiers come from. And it's their job to really figure out where they came from. So for me, I was realizing everybody's different. So I tell them about the army and it was the only job in, in the world that I know where you're selling something that nobody can touch, taste, see, test drive, feel, nothing, you know? Um, they're going off my word and they're joining, right? As a career counselor, it's very different. I'm going to thank you for your service. First question I'm going to ask is, why did you join? Um, did you get what you wanted out of the Army? And if not, is there anything I can do to assist you to getting that um, with continued service? If the answer is no, I'm still going to thank them from their service. Um, I think that's the, the biggest misconception is um, we're out here to just put numbers on the board. But that's not the case. Um, 19th ESC is doing a phenomenal job. We're keeping people in the Army. Um, we, we're 
were number one in the Army at that. So, you know, for us, it's more about we're going to ensure every eligible soldier gets counseled and gets the options that they deserve. Um, because I know when I was a junior soldier, that's what all I wanted to know is what can I do? You know, um, too many times do I see people that say, uh, my career counselor didn't tell me this or the retention guy didn't tell me this or, you know, I had no clue I could do that. I don't want that to be a second order effect of Mass Sergeant Savage or Sergeant Major Bartlett didn't tell me that. Um, I'd rather we tell them everything and then let them, as he said, you know, make an informed decision. So that's kind of my MO. It's been that way since I came off recruiting duty. Um, so I saw it from a different light because I saw where people came from. So now I'm not I don't need to beg people to stay in the army. They joined, like they served. We're in Korea right now. You know, every male here does two years. If we could get every male in America to do two years, life would be great. People will stay. People enjoy it, you know. Um, But I'm just thanking people for serving. That's a really good way to put it. And um, you talked about giving them, you know, what you can give to the soldier. One of those things you can help them with is reclassing, getting a new job. You know, there's lots tons of MOSs in the Army. What are some misconceptions maybe about reclassing or, or frequently asked questions? You get? I, I would say the most bi- the biggest misconception of uh, reclassing is that it's really easy. Um, I say that, and I'll, I'll give back to my recruiter days, is, you know, that was what they taught us in recruiting school is like, hey, make sure they pick a job, and if they don't like it, tell them in two years they can reclass. Um, so I was like, oh, that must be easy. Now I had already been in the army five years at this point and I've never reclassed, but I'm in recruiting and I'm, I can go be a 79 Romeo. So I was like, Oh, maybe it's right. So, um, when I became a career counselor, then I realized it's not that easy. Um, reclassification falls under really three things. Um, and every soldier, if they meet these three things, you can, uh, the number one is, is do the strengths of your current MOS allow you to reclass? Do Is there training available for the MOS you want? And do you qualify for the MOS you want? If all three of those line up, then reclassification is easy. It doesn't matter if you reclassify as a re-enlistment option, which is called Army training, or if you reclassify outside the re-enlistment window, and that's just called a reclassification. Um, You know, the difference is one you process with a 4187, the other one you process with a re-enlistment contract. Um, And I'll... I'll go further on that is just there are multiple MOSs that it doesn't matter the strengths of your current MOS, but it's funny because those are the MOSs that not everybody wants to do. So you have special forces, you have civil affairs, you have PSYOP, right? You have 15, uh, not 15, but um, the contracting NCO 52. So you have those MOSs that are available, um, prime power specialists, army diver, but, oh, that's, those are the hard ones. So it makes it, well, I don't want to reclass into that. So I'll help you reclass, but we have to look at it. And, you know, if you're going from understrength to understrength MOS, um, that's where it gets tricky. Because if you're an 11 Bravo, that's understrength, right? We might be understrength 300 soldiers, but realistically, there's a thousand of them. If you go to, we'll say a small MOS like 12 Papa, they're understrength. Uh, 50 soldiers, but there's only a strength of 75, right? So they only have 25 soldiers. They are 
exponentially more under strength, even though 11 Bravo has more slots they need to fill. So that one would make sense. But if it was flipped, they were a 12 Papa trying to go 11 Bravo. We're not going to support that, you know, because the army needs to fill those priority holes. Um, so that right there is where that's the hardest part of my job is to help somebody understand if you do this, it's going to hurt you, you know, um, and that's what HRC looks at. They look at actually what is the promotion potential if we allow this soldier to reclass, if we approve the exception of policy, um, are they going to get promoted? Are their current points comparable, commensurate with the other soldiers of that same grade in the new MOS? If it looks like they're going to get hurt as far as promotion and advancement, we're not going to approve it. And that hurts soldiers because, well, the Army doesn't care about me, but we do care. We care a lot about you. It's just the benefit is not worth the risk. Um, you're not, we're not going to put you in a position where it's going to hurt your career longer, even though that might be the job you really want to do. So that's, that's the misconceptions of, of reclassification and the down and dirty of, hey, if you get those three things right, 99% of the time you're going to be able to reclass. Um, it's just for those weirds, if they're two understrength MOSs, where it gets weird. But if, you know, you're in an overstrength and you want to go to an understrength MOS, no issues. Uh, we, we process them all the time. But you have to meet the qualifications for the new MOS. Um, and that's where a lot of folks, especially in Korea, you know, if you have to take a college class, if you have to do certain things, well, we're only here for 12 months for some people. So you might not be able to knock all that out. And then if you're on orders, you can't process a reclassification. So you get on orders here. It could be four months in. It could be 12 months in, you know. So if you're on orders, you can't process a reclassification. So that's where the I would say it's a little unfair. But, you know, reach out and talk to your career counselor as soon as possible. As soon as you think you want to reclass, talk to somebody. And I think so what you're – my take from that is you need to be actively looking at your career. I mean, way before your reenlistment window even comes up. So, I mean, it, it can't all be just jammed into the, you know, the last, you know, five months, you know, before you reenlist maybe. Right. 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 So I, I would add on to that to say that, um, the, anybody, anybody can, can do almost anything, but not everybody can do everything, right? And so uh, one of the biggest challenges we have and that I've seen in my time as a career counselor uh, is the expansion of technology, social media, uh, websites. Uh, and Sergeant Savage and I just uh, uh, were taking a look at a um, Facebook Live event for ArmyReenlistment.com. Uh, ArmyReenlistment.com is a great source of information. Uh, I know the owner of it <laughs> personally. Uh, support him and his endeavors. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges I faced, uh, especially when I was in an infantry battalion where I had a thousand soldiers in that command, uh, a lot of people self-counsel before they come into the office. And so you have Army Times saying anybody wants to be an astronaut or whatever the case may be. And now we spend an hour trying to explain to somebody why they can't do that opportunity that they just saw, uh, which said that, uh, you know, UAV operators are needed throughout the Army. Okay, great. However, uh, you might not have the line score. You might not have the clearance. Uh, um, just all the different factors that go into doing kind of those jobs. So it's it's managing expectations, and it all comes down to needs, wants, and desires. Uh, we listen to people's desires. You know, got it. Uh, if we can make those happen, that's great. 
um, uh, uh, wants. Okay, yep. If we can do it, that's great. But now we're kind of into that that, that kind of uh, we. They have something that they have to overcome in order to get it. Uh, what the soldier might need in their career might not be what they want or desire, i.e. the person who uh, wanted to go to college when they ETSed uh, but didn't have a plan on how they were going to support their family. your desire might be to be a doctor, you know, and you might want to go to medical school, uh, but right now you need to feed your family, which uh, the Army provides with benefits and stuff like that. And uh, speaking of college, um, one one benefit that you guys factor into a lot is the post-9-11 GI Bill. Like if a soldier maybe wants to pass it down to a dependent, um, they oftentimes need to talk uh, with career counselor. What, what can you tell me about the kind of things you talk to soldiers about with post-9-11? Yeah, so... Um we, our job used to be to approve every post 9-11 transaction. Uh, or we would go in and literally have you sit at our desk, do the transfer, we'd re-enlist or extend you, and then we would approve it right there on the spot. Now, it's a little different. Um, now we monitor the actual website for the post 9-11 GI Bill and see who in our command has submitted the request and if it's been rejected or approved. Anyone that's been rejected usually is rejected because they don't have the service remaining requirement. And that's four years. Um, So what we have changed is now I counsel every soldier that has six years in the Army. Uh, If they come in my office, if they're in processing, out processing, or re-enlisting, and they have six years on that day or more, I'm going to talk to you about the post 9-11 GI Bill. Um, and I believe I'm a great person to ask about it because I've seen three sides of the post 9-11 GI Bill. I have, I'm the service member, right? So I originally paid my $1,200 in and I know how to get my money back. Um, but all 36 months of the post 9-11 GI Bill have to be used. And if there's three days remaining, they got to take some kind of course, pay out of pocket for the 27 days or whatever is remaining um, to get the $1,200 back. I transferred it to my um, my ex-wife at the time and my um, daughter. Uh, and I also saw that my ex-wife, uh, she didn't do so hot in her classes, and you actually have to pay that back. So it's just like TA. So I tell soldiers, hey, if you transfer this, you know, you can give everybody one month. That's, that's, that's our recommendation is give everybody one month, and you can go in and manipulate it. Um, so when she and I got divorced, we had an agreement. Let's just give all of our college to our daughter, and that's what we did. And that, to me, was real important. Now my daughter's college is paid for. And I received, you know, my master's degree while I was in. Uh, the Army's paid for that. So for me, it's been really a reward. So when I talk to soldiers, I say, hey, have you thought about transferring your education? And they say, well, no, I think I'm going to use it. And I said, well, how much college have you taken while you've been in the Army? Well, none. Well, why not? Oh, I don't have any time. I said, well, there's 24 hours in a day. Like, what are you doing with your 24 hours? Uh, I hate to say it like that, but I made my own time to ensure I was taking college classes. And the direction the Army is going, we have to change the culture and Sar Major and I talk about that a lot, is that we understand civilian education is important. We have to, as enlisted soldiers, be commensurate with our officer 
counterparts almost um, as advisors. So, and we're working with them. So we should be getting associate's degrees. We should be getting bachelor's. We should be striving to get a master's degree. Um, and if we're doing that, then transfer your education benefits. Um, I am a big advocate of it. I don't force anybody. I don't grab them and say, you're going to do this. But they go in and they submit it. And so if you submit it and you don't do it in conjunction with the reenlistment, um, the only thing you can do is extend now um, to meet the four years. So we've, we've kind of had to change policy a little bit on how we, we do that. But there's a lot of rules behind it too. Um, and one of the coolest rules I think is, is if I transferred it and I have more children before I retire, those children, as soon as they hit my deers, I can give them months as well. So once you transfer it once, it's transferred. Um, you've already committed the four years. You don't have to commit any more time every time you change it. So that's why uh, Sar Major and I, we, we are very clear when we brief anyone is at least transfer one month so it's done, you know, and you've committed the time. And if you do it in conjunction with a reenlistment, well, then it's hand in hand. You don't have to worry about, you know, extending or do I have enough time? And uh, if I could add one thing on that, uh, uh, just to highlight something that, that Sergeant Savage said. So uh, if you die uh, and you have not transferred it, then the benefit dies pretty much with you. Uh, and that's why we're hot on, you know, the 1%, uh, one month at least uh, uh, to transfer it. Uh, point number two that I would make is uh, one of the biggest confusions is, let's say, sorry, Major Bartlett is single. Uh, you know, no dependents, nothing like that. I can utilize the, I can, I can elect the post 9-11 bill, uh, GI bill for myself. So you have the, the portion of it, which is awarded to the service member. Uh, and then you have the actual transfer uh, uh, portion of it. Uh, so oftentimes service members get confused and they think, oh, well, I have to, how do I utilize the post 9-11? I don't have any dependents. You can still utilize post 9-11. Uh, what we're talking about is the ability to transfer uh, that. And just because words do matter, uh, uh, Matt Sergeant Savage said manipulate the system. Uh, you don't manipulate it. Uh, you can go in there and move the months around, which right. I, I know yeah. that that's what you meant, uh, but he said manipulate, so we just want to clean that up. And I, and I was going to say the the Mill Connect website where you, where you do all that, like this isn't having used it a lot myself. Like this isn't one of those old school websites. It's hard to figure out. It's very user friendly yep. and it'll actually tell you like how much time you have left on that with those four years before it's officially right. Like your, yours to, to do what you want with. And, and you know, that website, if you PCS ever, and you go to a new unit, they tell you to go publish your updated info on the gal, right? The, the global address list. It's the same website. Mm -hmm. I mean, the next tab down, it says transfer of education benefits. And you click on that, and then you just follow the process. Right. And just to clarify, you can utilize it once you transfer it. Right. Uh, you don't have to wait the four years for the service remaining requirement in order to for that person to start utilizing it. Um, uh, but one thing to be cognizant of, if if you are removed uh, or separated from the Army for misconduct or something along those lines, and a portion of that benefit has been used, uh, then you're obligated to pay that back. Right. It's, it's treated just like a bonus, like if you don't fulfill that contract. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I think the last thing is um, spouses can use it instantly, and then children can use it after 10 years of service. Um, so... That's the only, you know, if you already have a high school age uh, child and you only have six years in the Army, 
they you you would almost have to wait to 10 years for them to use the the benefit um but with the benefit comes so many other benefits anything that we can get the bah the book stipends all of that they your spouse your child they receive that so um it's a it's a really it's a really phenomenal thing if you're utilizing ta um, going on the Ignite website now, uh, and that we've just changed to Ignite mm-hmm. with credentials assistance and TA. I think the credential assistance is amazing, nice. um, especially going forward. You know, the, a lot of people don't care what your degree is, and they want to know what credentials you have, right? Especially in the IT world and the industry. That this is huge. The the direction the army is going. I think Absolutely. it's amazing. And, and not to take it too far from that, but, you know, I sat on a promotion board yesterday, uh, and every last one of those soldiers, I believe, who came through uh, had a degree. One was in clinical psychology. Uh, and, to, and to Master Sergeant Savage's point, um, if you have – many soldiers have degrees in, in fields that they're not working in. And right. so that's why that credentialing uh, process becomes so important. And, and I will say, as somebody who has sent two children to college <laughs> – uh, with the uh, uh, post 9-11 GI Bill, uh, it is a awesome tool. I mean, you, you don't have to worry about it. They're not stressing about money and stuff like that. I make an agreement with my kids that you know, hey, we'll reassess after every year you know, whether I'm going to continue to use it. So uh, it is a really good benefit. Yeah, I would say, too, that it, it almost like looking at it for my son who has my post 9-11, sometimes it almost seems like too good to be true with when you factor in the yellow ribbon program and you look at how many colleges that you would pay for, you know, basically everything too, right. and, and really without without the post 9-11. Um, schools that you would never even think of. It's like, well, I can't pay for that, you know, just out of pocket. You know, college has gotten so expensive. The education incentives alone are um, phenomenal. And, and, you know, one of the other um, sides of transferring education benefits uh, really are, um, it was brought up to us and it was an unfortunate situation, but a, uh, a soldier died in war was never never had three kids never was able to transfer his education benefits um spouse really wanted to um receive that you know like how can my kids so they started is the fry scholarship his the soldier's name was fry and now up to i think three kids get full rides if you know you were killed in action so we're, the systems are coming in place for, like you said, the yellow ribbon. You have states that, like Texas, that are full rides. Um, and you can still use the post-911 to get the BAH benefit, the book stipend benefit. Um, those are available. So it's really an amazing – the way ahead, it, it's exciting. And we're going to take a quick break now. We're going to come back and talk more about retention with Math Sergeant Matt Savage and Sergeant Major Adam Bartlett right here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. Hi, this is Major Victoria Camary, 19th ESC Deputy Staff Judge Advocate. It's that time again, tax season. The Area 4 Tax Center is currently open to complete state and federal tax returns for service members, dependents, retirees, and surviving family members. Make sure to bring the following documents with you. Your ID card, Social Security number, or individual taxpayer identification number for yourself, your spouse, and all dependents. All W-2s, 1099s, 1098s, and affordable 
Affordable Care Act documents, a copy of last year's federal and state tax returns, and your bank routing and account number for direct deposit. There are certain returns that are beyond the scope of what the tax center may complete. For questions, call DSN 763-4442. The tax center closes on 30 April, so make sure to book your appointment today. Again, call DSN 763-4442. And we're back with the 19th ESC retention team of Master Sergeant Matt Savage and Sergeant Major Adam Bartlett right here on the Every Soldier Counts podcast. And Sergeant Major, um, something we, we've talked about before is the assignment of choice program that, that you're kind of linked in. What can you tell me about that and and how what the goal for that program is? So uh, Korea, the assignment of choice uh, has been my life for the past seven to eight months. Uh, uh, and really, it's something that USFK uh, wants to look at. How do we make Korea the assignment of choice and how do we uh, incentivize soldiers to extend their tours uh, here on the peninsula? Uh, so it started off kind of just as a conversation uh, between myself and the CG uh, and the CG uh, General Allen's uh, premier objective is to lower the turnover during the summer bowls period uh, which is July to October uh, where we receive an influx of soldiers and unfortunately we see a lot of soldiers uh, depart um, uh, even for us at the senior level all the sergeants major leave within about six weeks of each other uh, in the summer uh, so it, it's not just a junior enlisted thing it's not just a NCO thing it's, it's, it's literally a career uh, uh, deal. Um, uh, if you're a senior personnel, generally you're moving during the summer because you have the children and stuff like that. Uh, so what we wanted to do was uh, analyze how do we incentivize soldiers, families to stay here an additional year. What I probably did not understand at that time. It sounded like something easy, you know. Well, hey, give them, hey, let's see what school we can give them, and, and if they agree to serve 12 months, then we'll do it. Well, what it actually required was for for me and my team to literally rip open and break apart every phase of the process of a soldier's tour in Korea, the cradle to the grave, as we like to say, uh, in our world. And so, what we found were there are four specific. Um, Periods, transition periods for soldiers as they uh, come down on assignment instructions for Korea all the way until they're on the plane leaving the peninsula. And so the first one is sponsorship. Uh, the Army uh, Sponsorship Program, Total Army Sponsorship Program, uh, covers uh, sponsorship, how, how we are required to sponsor uh, soldiers uh, as they come down on assignment. So the sponsorship piece, I come down on assignment. I'm, I'm, uh, most of the time it's 180 days from report. Uh, date that a soldier receives assignment instructions. Uh, if you're like myself, I got them probably about 60 days before uh, before the uh, assign- uh, before report date for my assignment instructions. Uh, that 120 day period, four months uh, from generally our, our standard 180 day before report to some of those uh, uh, quick fuse assignments, 30, 60 days. That that four month gap is when a soldier would be looking at command sponsorship uh, here to the peninsula, uh, running the EFMP process. Uh, if they have the exceptional family members uh, that require additional care and resources here on the peninsula. Uh, so the sponsorship portion is, is our first opportunity to reach out to a soldier, welcome them to Team 19 in our case, uh, and start to lay out exactly what our organization does, what it means where every soldier counts. Um, and, and we're planting kind of that seed into them uh, as far as we're, we're looking forward to you and your family's arrival and how can we assist. Uh, the second phase is reception integration. 
So that's when the soldier lands either at Incheon or Osan Air Base uh, here on the peninsula. Now, due to COVID-19, we're dealing with uh, uh, quarantine and, and some additional requirements that uh, previously weren't needed. Uh, so we're ripping apart reception integration. How how can we better receive personnel and integrate them into Team 19? Uh, we are also discovering that this is the time where we want to uh, put out there a, a potential incentive uh, for soldiers to attend a school, uh, uh, ASI producing school, uh, or just a career development school. Um, on Peninsula, up at Camp Humphreys, they offer a, a, a bunch of courses up there. And then off pin, uh, we're talking the ASIs uh, with the uh, MP uh, battalion. Uh, they, they have a lot of uh, uh, military police and, uh, investigator skill sets and things like that. Um, but that's when we want to plant the seed. We, we want to welcome the family, welcome the soldier, get them integrated into the organization. The third phase, which is uh, the longest, that's the soldier development. How are we developing potential uh, and personnel on the peninsula for two reasons. Number one, uh, to better be prepared to fight tonight uh, if, if, if it came to that. Uh, but the second reason is what are we producing and sending back to Forcecom, uh, USERPAC, and TRADOC, or uh, U.S. Army Europe? What is the warfighter, the state of the warfighter that we're sending out of here? Uh, because believe it or not, a lot of personnel, this is their first duty assignment fresh out of AIT. This is their first encounter with the Army. Uh, those of us who've been in the Army a while understand career kind of has its own dynamic, uh, just based off of you have to be ready to go to war at any moment. Um, uh, but how we prepare those soldiers to go forward uh, to their next duty assignment, prepared, developed, uh, promotable in some cases, uh, to go out there and lead formations uh, in the Forcecom, USERPAC, USER uh, uh, world. And so that that obviously is, is a critical piece of what we're doing. Uh, and I would add on to one of the reasons why it's even more important is um, that gets to the perception of Korea. We hear people when they get here, this is what I heard about Korea. Mm -hmm. uh, Korea is a bad assignment. You know, the best way to make sergeant is to go as a staff sergeant. All those things that we've heard. That, those are things that come from people who served in Korea and have transitioned back to another unit and, and spoke about Korea and their experiences. Uh, so developing the soldier professionally, personally, uh, getting after the holistic uh, fitness approach, uh, all of those things are vital in the development phase. The fourth phase uh, is transition. Everybody, for the most part, will leave this peninsula. And, uh, if they stay, most of them are voluntarily. There are some people who get into some involuntary circumstances. Uh, but everybody will leave. And it's understanding that all of those ways that we transition off of the peninsula uh, – are important and that everybody's treated with dignity and respect on the way out of the door because again that transition process is what's fresh in that service member's mind when they show up to a new unit right um, and so how we transition them through the pcs process uh retirement uh, uh, involuntary separation. Uh, we, we, we've dealt with some qualitative management program, QMP uh, notifications. All of those are significant emotional events. And how, how we do those four things, sponsorship, reception, development, and transition, uh, increase the potential for Korea to be an assignment of choice. Yeah. I, I, I you know, it's, he said it best is what, what you hear about Korea before you come to Korea. Um, as a senior NCO for both of us, I was excited. Um, and I was, I was in Iraq beginning of 2020, and I was sitting next to a CSM. And I knew I was coming to Korea. I just didn't know when because we went on New Year's Eve to Iraq. So I was just waiting for the, you know, the, 
our presidential situation and everybody to say, okay, you can go home. And then I'd find out when I was coming to Korea. But I was sitting next to the CSM every day and he would just tell me about the food. He'd tell me about how much he loved it. Um, I didn't hear one bad thing he said. And, and I look at and I see other senior leaders, battalion command sergeants major, and th they say the same things, like the great times they had. Um, it was the mid-level in the, in the formations that said all the terrible things. And um, I was looking forward to it. I, I love food and I love traveling. And I did not know that there was COVID coming. Uh, so, you know, and we came to Korea at, I think, the best time. And soldiers now get a chance to come here. They've got it, you know. Other than the COVID restriction, we they've gotten rid of the curfew because we're, we're allowing soldiers to experience this because we want them to go back to the formations and really talk about the integration, not just with their unit, but the integration with the culture, uh, understanding that, respecting that, walking, you know, doing things. We, we have such a blessing in Daegu that, uh, you know, so our major and I, we, we joked to our friends in Pyeongtaek at Camp Humphreys. I said, we have to drive through Korea to get to work. You know, like we don't, we don't wake up and walk across the street. We wake up, drive, you know, through the city, seeing the bread, seeing the, everybody on their scooters. We, we see, we experience Korea and then we get to work, you know, uh, to, to me that that's what this is about. And, you know, the CG and, you know, Sergeant Major, they've been working directly together to make Korea assignment of choice. And, you know, for my job, since this has been his baby, is really I want to help promote stabilization here. Um, so reenlistment stabilization, what can we incentivize? Uh, are there different ways to incentivize? What, what, you know, you being a PAO, what school could I send you to to incentivize you to stay here? You know, okay, with COVID, can I send you back to the States or can, is it offered on the peninsula? So those types of things, we, you know, like he said, we thought it was going to be really quick and easy, like this is easy, but it's really intricate. And we are, we're putting in the effort because we want to see soldiers stay. Um, and the turnover, if you think about it, if look at any deployment, when you rip in and out, stuff's lost. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you as a, a senior NCO, I, I spent my first three months building something, um, walking around, shaking hands, meeting people. Who, who are the key players out here? You know, who's going to help our soldiers? Then I spent three built the next three months, you know, ensuring that those relationships got better and forged them. And then now I'm on my downwards, you know, slope, like your first six months, you're, you're really building your foundation. And after that, the next three months, the house is put on the plot. But you really don't get to see the roof until you leave, you know, and somebody else might not like your floor plan. So they might want to start it all over. Um, that's, you know, where if we can incentivize and everybody can see what we have around us, they can, we can finish the houses and then we can have a neighborhood, you know, like of nice houses. And people are like, wow, I really like living here. This is, I got a great house. I think that's my small mind. That's how I think of it. Right. And, and, I, and I agree. I, you know, uh, I thought back to um, one of the highest stabilization rates that I had as a career counselor. I was at 40 percent, which is pretty high uh, when I was stationed at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia. And I can tell you, I spent six years in at Hunter. Uh, we deployed out of the door three times. Uh, uh, there wasn't a great 
taking to the unit op tempo, but people love Savannah. Yeah. Uh, people loved the location. They loved where it was at. They, you know, uh, it was just, it was a great time in Savannah when you got to see Savannah. <laughs> um, uh, and so I've taken some of that with me here as far as the quality of life aspect of this. If soldiers have a good quality of life that, that supports uh, command sponsorship, uh, that supports, uh, uh, obviously, EFMP, we're a little hands tied. Uh, but uh, if we can support those things and provide a overall quality of life, because all four of those pillars are talking quality of life through those processes. If I had a terrible sponsorship experience, by the time I get here, I have preconceived notions that reception and integration, that first time I step off the plane is going to do one of two things. It's either going to validate those preconceived notions or it's going to change them. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if my reception and integration uh, thing didn't go well, which quarantine is is, is rough, I've been there, uh, uh, you know, to be isolated for, for two weeks. Um, but if there are added um, aggravating factors to that, and then I come down on a on a bus from from Camp Humphreys to Area Four, and there's nobody there to greet me. Right uh, now, I, I it's all, it all starts to build to where I'm just looking. Now, all I'm focused on is my D-Rose. Uh, I asked a soldier recently. Uh, I said, "Hey, when's your D-Rose?" And they didn't know. And I was like, really? That was something different to me because most soldiers that you ask when you D-Rose, they know the exact day. They don't know their ETS, but they, <laughs> they know their know D-Rose. The, exactly. <laughs> I know on this date I, I get to go home. And so when I met that soldier, I said, this person has had a good quality of life throughout the process because they don't even know when they're leaving. So, I mean, there, there are ways that we change the game. Uh, and and, and the, the CG and SAR Major understand that uh, how we provide quality of life directly translates and correlates to Korea being an assignment of choice. Well, it's really exciting to see what you two both are helping to build here at night, not only 19th, but, you know, area Four Korea as a whole. And I think it can reach up, you know, pen wide, you know, this, this plan that you both have. So um, you two obviously have a lot of answers to give to soldiers. if They want to come to you. Um, what's, what's the best way to get in touch with, with, with either of you, if they have questions. Uh, so the best way is, if uh, they want to call our office, um, it's DSN uh, 315-763-4010, and 4013. Um, if you call any one of those numbers, we're happy to answer and help. Uh, the other one is to check out the our Facebook page, um, and I think it's – I always forget if it's Team 19. We, we tried out a few names, and I'm – I didn't get him right the first time. I think it's 19th Expeditionary System. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you now. It's 19th ESC Retention that's Team. It. That's it. Um, so if you look us up on Facebook, send us a message. Uh, we actually all have it on our phone, so we respond really quick. Um, and that, you know, it's social media, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we could link podcasts to it, you know, and you get a DM through a podcast, we would too. You know, uh, it's... Uh, we are available to the people. Um, that's the best way to say, to put it. That's the easiest way to get a hold of us. Um, we love providing input, and I know Sergeant Major and I. We you invite us somewhere and put us in front of soldiers. We're going to be there. So uh, that's something. Also, I would say we provide um, we provide guest speaker. We provide mentorship, uh, LPD training. Um, that is something we really enjoy doing um, because. I said it before, uh, and it's, it falls right in line with the Korea assignment joints, but we will ensure every soldier is notified and briefed on what the Army's doing, 
um, what retention's doing. And I think that's the weird uh, hat we wear. We we were talking about that Facebook Live earlier, and we wear so many hats, but we're we're really in touch with if policy is about to change in the army, we we know. Um, so we we know things sometimes sooner than it, it gets pushed out live, and we can see the changes coming. We can predict things. So we have a lot of valuable information to provide commanders, first sergeants, uh, platoon sergeants, uh, and at the lowest echelon. You know, we just don't brief the battalion leadership and above. We we want to talk to the soldiers um, because I think we were all young soldiers one time, and that was the worst thing is you waited until 1600 to be told what all needed to be done that day. Um, I I will make that change in my career is that I will ensure the lowest level finds out something at 930, not at 1600. So we want to push info. Right. Absolutely. And I, I would just highlight um, something Sergeant Savage was kind of alluding to there. And we talked it right before we walked in here. Uh, we're not just retention people. You know, <laughs> uh, a lot of people see us. And I don't want to reenlist. I'm not. We're not here. To talk. I rarely talk reenlistment to anybody. I want to know what their needs, wants, desires are. You know, t tell me about what it is that you want to accomplish, what it is that you want to achieve. We're career counselors by trade. Uh, and sometimes, well, a lot of times um, the conversations we have, uh, start off maybe from a retention standpoint, but in order to get a soldier to commit, whether it's assignment of choice or reenlistment, you have to understand what their underlying issues are, uh, what their influences are, if it's family, if it's uh, uh, current squad leader, chain command, whatever it is, where are those positive negative influencers, which generally to overcome those, that's where the counselor part comes in. Right. You know, and we counsel people, it seems like, oh, they, you know, they drop the career, you become financial counselor, experience right. counselor, uh, you know, and things like that. But but it's a, it's getting at the underlying issue, getting them the assistance they need to overcome whatever that may be. So, yes, at the end, they will reenlist and stay Team 19. All right. Very good. And I wanted to just thank you both again for coming by. And we had a lot to talk about. Um, we'll have you back again. We'll Look talk even more. And so, once again, these are the guys with the answers. Uh, Sergeant Major Adam Bartlett and Master Sergeant Matt Savage. So, their doors open. Their comms are open on social media. Uh, thanks again for coming by. And thanks again for listening to the Team 19 Every Soldier Counts podcast. We'll talk to you next time. And again, I want to thank the 19th ESC retention team, Sergeant Major Bartlett, Mass Sergeant Savage, for coming by. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Every Soldier Counts podcast wherever you find podcasts. And please find us on Facebook at 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command. Thanks again for listening to the Every Soldier Counts podcast.